If you've been joining us in person or online at any point over the last 12 or so weeks, you would know that we're working through E100, 100 of the essential passages of scripture that show the arc of scripture, of the Bible's story, and tell us the story of everything. Two weeks ago, we passed a big milestone as we moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And with the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, the affirmation of God that Jesus is God's beloved son. Last week, we had an overview of the teaching of Jesus. From the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, we heard, do not worry. And this week, we get a week on the miracles of Jesus. If you're reading along with the readings this week, you'll come across a nice array of miracles. You'll have the feeding of the 5,000, healing a blind man, an exorcism, raising Lazarus from the dead, and the reading that we heard this morning, Jesus walking on the water. But to spend a full week in miracles puts us in the position of having to confront what we actually think and feel about them. On the one hand, we proclaim every single week that we believe in the resurrection of the dead, and specifically that Jesus rose from the dead, the miracle most central to our faith. On the other hand, for me at least, miracles feel extremely rare and sometimes hard to believe in. And there may be conflicting feelings for people here and watching online. There may be some of you who feel skeptical, who have never seen any sign or wonder. Maybe you feel like 18th century philosopher David Hume that miracles are a violation of nature and they don't make sense to believe in a scientific age. Or perhaps you believe firmly in them and you lean more towards the view of Bishop Augustine from the fourth century who said that miracles are not contrary to nature, they're simply contrary to what is known of nature. Maybe you've experienced miracles for yourself in your own life or the life of family or friends and you have some pretty incredible stories to tell. Or maybe you theoretically believe in miracles. But when you needed one, whether it was for healing or for deliverance from addiction, for the provision of a job or a place to live, that miracle was nowhere to be found. And maybe you've struggled with grief and a sense of betrayal, with prayers that felt unheard. That can be a hard place to be in, especially when you hear a passage like this morning. And if that's you, my heart goes out to you. But wherever you find yourself this morning, my hope and my prayer is that Jesus will come to meet you as we come to this week on miracles and Jesus walking on the water. So walking on the water, this is a great story. And did you notice it's actually a story within a story? and a miracle within a miracle. We've got the outer story. We've got what is called a nature miracle in which Jesus demonstrates his authority over all of creation. But unlike other miracles, unlike healings, this one feels unnecessary. Jesus actually seemed to have put the disciples in a position where they needed to be rescued. He's the one who told them to go in a boat alone without him across the lake at night. 
And then the wind comes up and he leaves them there and they're struggling all night long against this wind and they're tired. And then just before dawn is when Jesus finally comes to them. And it is unsurprising that their reaction is terror. Imagine, you're out in the middle of a big lake. There's a strong wind and you've been fighting it all night long. It's dark. Maybe there's a glimmer of dawn in the distance and maybe that's how they see this figure off in the distance coming towards them on the waves where there should be no figure. From the biblical perspective and what the disciples would have understood, water is chaos. Water is dangerous, unruly, unpredictable. It's powerful. And anyone walking on water, walking on that chaos, is either a part of it, and hence the fear of ghosts, or their master over it. And either way, it's terrifying. But Jesus doesn't waste a second in calming their fears. Just in one of the most frightening experiences of their lives, they received one of the most encouraging statements in the whole Bible. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. The Greek version of the Hebrew statement, I am. The name God revealed to Moses in the burning bush. There are many miracle workers in the Bible, not just Jesus. Think of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Some of them even raised people from the dead. Moses himself was a miracle worker. But no one walks on water but God. Job 9 verse 8 says, God alone stretched out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Or think of Psalm 107, which may have been looking forward to and describing this exact story. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. In other words, who is this coming towards the disciples when circumstances are at their most chaotic and most frightening? It is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the only one who can subdue and overcome the chaos. And the result is that Peter's faith is galvanized. For that moment, he understands that Jesus is the Lord of all creation, and he believes, and he does what no human being before Jesus has ever done before, and he steps out onto water, and he stands. And that brings us to the inner story, the inner miracle within the miracle. And this is the miracle not just of what God can do with creation, but what St. Augustine again calls the greatest miracle, what God can do with a human heart. We get to see one pivotal moment in the life of this very ordinary man, this fisherman, who will go on through experiences exactly like this one to become the rock on which Christ will build his church. Here's verses 28 to 31 again. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me, to come out, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Jesus got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. This is a great story. I love it because of the sheer humanness of it. We have Peter's audacity, his willingness to risk, but also his complete and total failure to carry it off. The way Peter took his eyes off Jesus just at the critical moment and got distracted by the circumstances around him. Can't you relate to that? I know I can. It's so easy to lose our focus. So easy to start noticing all the things that are trying to shake our faith rather than keeping our eyes on Jesus. But then also, and equally as important as his original stepping out in faith, is Peter's willingness to call out to Jesus for help. Peter is being transformed bit by bit into that rock on which Christ will build his church. And it comes not just through taking these incredible leaps of faith, but through learning that when his faith fails, Christ is there to catch him. I like to imagine that Jesus' words, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That they were said with a laugh as they both got into the boat. So what do we do with this story? For the early church, this story had particular meaning. It was written as they were facing great persecution from all sides against all Christians. And so for them, as they heard this story, and as the gospel is written, the boat carrying the disciples represents the church. The term nave, this is the nave here, it's a part of a church, and it comes from Latin navis, meaning ship, the ship that is carrying the people of God. And the church, battered by the waves, that word battered means the same as tortured. The gospel writers knew this. They knew that this is how this story would be understood by the early church, that Jesus, having left them, having ascended into heaven, having ascended on the mountain like in the story, wasn't with them when they were undergoing this persecution around them, but he came to them. He came to them in their need, and he rescued them, and he delivered them. Well, for us, what three things can we take from this story? I think there are three things we've got here. To move from doubt to faith, and back to doubt, and back to faith. This is so normal for the believer. Theologian and Bishop Tom Wright says, this story can be read as a picture of the life of faith, or rather the life of half-faith, faith mixed with fear and doubt, which is the typical state of so many Christians as it was with the disciples. Moments of strong faith, moments of doubt, both of these are normal for the believer. And that leads to my second point. Because in moments of doubt, in moments of failure, in moments where we have let ourselves and each other and even God down, the best thing we can do is call out to Jesus. And this is counterintuitive. Because usually shame gets in the way, and we want to run away from Jesus rather than calling out to him. We want to hide and pretend we haven't done anything wrong. But the thing that's going to save us is turning to him. 
Look at Jesus' response to Peter. When Peter started sinking, Jesus didn't look down on him and say, your lack of faith got you into this mess. You can flail a bit before I rescue you. Think of in The Lord of the Rings, if you've watched the movie where Sam is running after Frodo and he goes under the water and, and it just seems to take forever where he's flailing under the water before Frodo finally lifts him up out of it. That's not what's happening here. The text doesn't give this detail, but I like to imagine that Jesus hadn't quite reached Peter when he started sinking. And yet when he cried out to him, Jesus was immediately there. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and catches him. No hesitation. Not one moment between, Lord, save me, and Jesus saving him. This is mercy in action. Jesus, our ever-present help in times of trouble, even trouble that we have brought on ourselves. And finally, just as Jesus proved himself Lord over chaos, the chaos of the waters, he also took on the chaos of sin and death and proved himself Lord over them by rising from the dead. He is always ready to trample down the chaos that tries to destroy us, the sin and the fear and the worries and the doubt. Jesus is Lord over them, and he will not let us drown. All we need to do is say three little words, Lord, save me. And he is longing and so ready to come to the soul in distress with healing and help and hope. So take heart. The great I am is here, in the midst of us, ready to save. Thanks be to God. Amen.